And yeah, figure out how to do it. You just, yeah, figure out how to do it. Let's do that again. You guys want to wake up, let's get happy, dance a little bit. Are you guys going to do this? Are you going to participate? Are you going to participate? I want, I want you to participate, and I'm going to, I'm going to document it on Facebook, on Instagram here. All right, here we go. That might be a new tradition, I'm just saying. Just saying. Oh, man, City Life dance-off every Sunday, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. I was laughing. Um, you know, a lot of times people, um, when you talk to them about church, you know, um, I get this a lot. You know, I work, um, one of my other jobs, I work as a uh, server at a restaurant, so I deal with a lot of people that are very unchurched, de-churched and angry at the church and whatever else you want to say towards the church. And one of their biggest things they always talk about, oh, the church is just about money. And you come to church, the pastors sometimes forget about the offering here at City Life, right? And so I was just, I just totally, I was like, well, I don't know what's next. And I just went on, hey, video announcements, and I was supposed to take up the offering. I forgot about it. So you know you can be safe here at City Life, right? We care about Jesus and Jesus only. So <laughs> I tried to do a little Jesus juke on my mistake there. So, But anyway, so today we're going to be continuing with our third week of uh, the sermon series Rescued. And uh, this is a fun sermon series. Been having a blast studying it, preparing for it, and getting ready for it. Um, it's just been a blast as we um, just think, we uh, experienced the past couple weeks and then go into the next coming weeks, just thinking about what God's doing and just seeing what he's even doing in my own life as I study and as God is challenging me through his word and my understanding of what I'm called to do and this Christian life I'm called to live. And, and uh, Pastor Fred and I are excited about what God is doing, not in our own lives, but also just in our families and in the church. And uh, we believe that this is a um, monumental series for the church and that God's going to be doing something specific in each one of our hearts and that by the end of this summer, in, when we get into the fall of 2014, we're going to look back and we're be like, that was the season that God changed this church. And uh, we just absolutely believe that. I hope that for you, um, whether that's you coming to relationship with Jesus Christ, whether that's you uh, just furthering uh, in, your, in your relationship with Christ and your understanding of him and the life that he's called you to. Maybe that's discovering um, the destiny that he has for you and you begin to step into that and live that out. I just believe that something amazing is going to happen in each one of our lives and in this church as we continue to look to him and uh, understand that he's come to rescue us and as he, since he's called or since he's come to rescue us that he has given us an opportunity to live out as rescuers. And that's the life that he wants us to live, that he came and gave himself for us and he's asked us to give ourselves for others. And that's what he wants us to do. And deep inside of each and every one of us, there's this desire to be rescued, and there's a desire to be the rescuer. It's in every single one of us. You see it played out in your kids as they're playing. There's moments where, you know, the kids, they, they, you know, they want to be in a dire situation. They need a hero to come and save them, right? And then the next second, they want to be the heroes. I know my kids do that a lot, you know. They're just like, Dad, Dad, help me, you know. I'm trapped in a building, you know. And they got pillows on all on top of them or whatever else, you know. And, like, not even, like, two seconds. I moved the first pillow off. I haven't completely rescued them, you know. They're just like, okay, now you got to be trapped in the building, right? And so they want to be the rescuer. It's just deep within every single one of of us, and I think it's just true to the nature of who we are, that we recognize and realize in some sense, and maybe today might be the day that you connect the dots and that the Holy Spirit shows you that 
really it's not about us being rescued from our circumstances, but it's us being rescued from the reality of sin. And that Jesus came to rescue us and that he did everything and anything that was needed so that we could be rescued. And because he's rescued us and because he's included us in his story of rescue, we are now called to be rescuers and to go and to rescue others. And that's the synopsis of the series and what we're doing. And how we're approaching this series is, is we're walking through um, and looking at different movies and having fun with that. Pastor Fred and I are both huge movie buffs, as is Pastor Juice. And so we all love movies and we have a ton of movies and, uh, and watch movies a lot. And so this is something that's just natural for us and it's fun with us. Um, but it's, too, it's just helpful sometimes just to, to pull in some different imagery to give you some thoughts and perspectives um, maybe that otherwise you couldn't see. And so uh, we're going to be doing that. So today we're going to be walking through and looking at this movie. Who can tell me what it is? Remember the Titans. It's a great movie. It's great. How many of you guys enjoy this movie? How many of you guys don't like this movie? All right, good. Because we're in Virginia, right? And it's about football. It's story of a football team in Virginia, right? So if you're like, you'd have to leave today, I'm just saying. So, but so we're going to be walking through and looking at Remember the Titans as I drop my microphone. But uh, we're going to be talking through uh, Remember the Titans. And um, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's an amazing movie for many different reasons. Um, but uh, I, I absolutely, um, this is probably my top 10 list of best movies of all time. Probably, because it's just such a good movie. It's just such a great story. There's so many different stories within the story, and it's just absolutely amazing, and it's, it, it's such a good story. One of the things is, as you go, as we talked about even last week, um, as you know, Pastor Fred and I, there's been so many things as we've been journeying with Michelle and I coming here to City Life that it's just been shocking on how many things we have um, in agreement, uh, how many things we like. Our preferences are so similar in so many ways. There's so many things that that we just even do mannerisms and different stuff like that. They're just very similar. It's just kind of weird. We're both bald and beautiful with beards. Although he just shaved his beard off. I was a little disappointed about that. Um, but, you know, so there's, you know, there's just so many weird things. And then we both found out we're both huge movie buffs, right? And so when we were coming here to interview, we were just talking. We we're just like, no way, you two, you agree on that? No way you think that? No way. And then we started talking about our, you know, favorite theologians and favorite pastors. And like, oh, my gosh, me too. And, you know, all this different stuff. And, like, I mean, it's just very little that we disagreed on. And it was just cool just to find somebody that thinks the same way, same way as, you know, as each other. We both had uh, like dreams and things of just like, oh, we could do church this way or we could do this this way. And, you know, and it's just like, holy cow, I've never had anybody, met anybody that's had that thought. You know, most people just stare at me like I'm an alien. And you agree and you've had that thought too. Yes, there's two aliens that are alike here, right? And so we're happy with it. And then we start talking about movies and then all of a sudden we start seeing the road separate just a little bit, right? <laughs> we start talking about what are great movies, and he's saying this is the greatest movie. Like, you know, like I was joking last week when he said the greatest Western, you know, is, is, uh, is uh, Silverado. And I was just like, there's no way, dude. There's no way. And so I, did, I, I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a chance. So it's on, it's on Netflix if you want to watch it. And if you haven't seen it, you can watch it. And I want you to report back to me and let me know what you think, all right? All right, because it is awful. It's awful. I, I was sitting there, I was like, I'm going to finish this just because I'm a man of my word and I'm going to give it a chance. It is awful. Like, if somebody would have been standing there encouraging me to, like, watch this thing and just pay me, I might have just said no, right? Other than just the fact that I just believe my word. Like, if I had no other motivation other than just being a man of my word, 
I wouldn't have finished it. It was awful. So I started joking around with somebody. I was talking to them about this and just our top movies and how different we are in this. And he's like, you should come up with a list. It's just completely ridiculous. So whenever he says this is the best movie that you can just throw out something ridiculous, right? And just whatever. So we started talking about the categories we had. And so um, I don't know if you remember this or not when, on his opening weekend. Um, what was the best princess movie, best princess rescue movie that he listed? Anybody remember? Star Wars. <laughs> it's Princess Bride. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so Princess Bride, all right? So I was just sitting here thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start saying space balls. That's what I'm going to say, space balls, right? <laughs> all right, so space balls, right? And then, uh, and, then, and then I also, too, you know, for... Um, so that was my best space movie with space balls, right? Uh, my best princess rescue is Princess Bride. I mean, that's right there, right? Uh, the best, like... The best, uh, like, medieval, like, movie, you know what I'm saying? Best medieval time period rescue movie. Anybody with me on this? Monty Python? Monty Python, right? Right? Monty Python, right? All right. So, all right, how about this one about uh, um, best? I don't even know what to call this one. So, whatever the best would be of, of the story um, where... Uh, Somebody who's a villain is actually the good guy. What would you call that? What would you call that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, somebody, everybody says he's a villain. I'm getting at Robin Hood. I'm getting at Robin Hood, right? Right? I'm getting at that. So Robin Hood men in tights, right? That would be a good one right there. I just completely bossed that one. But anyway, so. All right, best war movie? Best war movie? Hot Shots. <laughs> Come on. Hot Shots, Right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? A little Charlie Sheen action, shooting the chicken, right? With the bow and arrow. Come on. You know you remember that. All right. So anyway, so all right. So that was fun. All right. So as we get into this series and we look at it and we just go through and we just talk about the fact that we've been rescued, we're tying in different movies and looking at what, what uh, each one has in the story of a person being rescued. And when we look at Remember the Titans, one of the things that I love about this story is, is that it's not necessarily just about a person being rescued. And there's many, many different stories. Last week we talked about We Were Soldiers. Anybody pull that up and watch that because you were encouraged from it last week? Shame on you. You should do that, all right? It's a great movie. Um, Zach, if Zach was here, he just got called out, actually. He had to go travel, but Zach actually watched it yesterday. He sent me a text. He's like, dude, watching this. So kudos to Zach. But so we look at this movie. You know, We, we Were Soldiers. When we look at it, there were so many um, different things happening. But one of the greatest stories I think that's in there is actually the story of the, the photographer that's in there, he's a journalist, and his name's Joe Galloway, and his own personal journey and personal story that's developed throughout the whole movie of really him trying to understand who he is and what his place in this world is. And he goes through and he discovers something powerful about himself, and then he begins to tell the story, and now we do have the story of this amazing battle that happened and the, the bravery that was there and the sacrifice that was there because he discovered what he was to do, and he was rescued from himself and his own discouragement, and he was rescued from this place of not believing in himself, but discovered that he has a purpose, and, and it was just, it's just an amazing opportunity, and we paralleled that with Zechariah, that Zechariah, when he was walking into the temple, and um, an angel appeared to him at the temple and said, hey, your wife is going to have a baby, and this baby is going to grow up, and he starts listing the character of John the Baptist, and, and, and Zechariah is just like, well, wait a minute, um, we're really old, that's not going to happen, right? And so he's, he has this moment of unbelief, and, and really 
what happens is, is that a lot of times when we look at our own lives, we, we look at how someone else could be a hero. Somebody else could do something heroic or somebody else could do something spectacular, but we can just, it's hard for us to believe sometimes that we could be somebody who can make a difference. That we look at ourselves and our unbelief is, is that we could be a part of God's story of rescue. That, yeah, it's okay for God to use Derek. I mean, it's okay for, you know, God to work through him because, I mean, he's a great guy and he's, you know, a great, you know, employee and a great husband. And, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. He's good, right? But me, there's no way God could use me. And there's a sense of unbelief that God wants to use us. And that's what God wants to come and rescue us from is this sense of unbelief that, that we can't do what God's called us to do, that we have an opportunity to be a part of his story of rescue. So as we look today at this movie... Remember the Titans, we see the main theme of this is not just the rescue of a football team, right? Going from perils to becoming a great team. It's not just about uh, a coach discovering his ability to be a good coach. And and it's not about that. It's not about uh, a player discovering his talents and rising above some adversity. It's about a community overcoming a devastating mindset. It's about a community coming together and about healing taking place and them being able to come together and accomplishing more together than they could ever on their own. It's about a community coming together around one idea and one person leading that charge as a leader and people coming in and saying, I'm going to look to you and I'm going to follow you wherever you go, whatever it costs me, because I know you're going to get us to a place that we couldn't get ourselves to. And that's the overarching story of this movie. If you go through the story and you look at it, there's Coach Yost, who is one of the longest tenured coaches in Virginia football at the time, of high school football, and he was the heir to be, uh, become the next coach at what was the largest high school at the time and the most prestigious football team. He was supposed to be taking that on, and, and Coach Yost was working currently at a uh, a very prestigious all-white school and very success- successful football team. And so he's the guy at, at this other school is retiring, so now Coach Yost should be come on. But there's, there's a, a move in, in, in the culture and in the shift of the United States where we were, where they were trying to make a point of the issue of race and help things to be healed and help us to move forward. And so Coach Boone is brought in, and they, they bring him in and, and say, hey, you know what, Coach Boone, uh, Coach Boone as an African-American, you know, if he took this on, that would be such a statement for where we are as a community and, and a move forward. And he's just like, I don't know if I want that. And you know what, I'm going to be honorable. Coach Yost should actually be the coach. And so he's like, you know, wrestling with it. And then he's encouraged through friends and leaders to stand up to be a leader for his community and for his people to step up and to be used in this way. And so he goes through and he becomes the coach of this prestigious high school. And he takes it on, of course, there's this outrage. There's all kinds of things that happen. There's just, you know, all kinds of different things that are taking place. Coach Yost is now discouraged because he doesn't have a job, right? And he was going to uh, be this coach. Now he doesn't even have a job. He's already left the school that he was at. So all these different things are going on for him personally. And then Coach Boone walks up to him and says, hey, listen, you know what? Why don't you become an assistant coach? Right? Why don't you become an assistant coach to me? Right? And so I'm going to read you the, the, um, the scene right here out of this. But it says, uh, Coach Yo says, um, he's talked to him, and they're, they're starting to fight. And they're just like, I don't know, you know, you know, what's going on here and all this different stuff. And he says, Coach Yo says, this isn't about me. I'm worried about my boys. And Coach Boone said, well, I'm not going to cut them and eat them. The best, player, the best player will play. Color won't matter. 
And Coach Yo says, from the looks of our little situation we got us here, I think that's about all that does. Coach Boone says, yeah, you're right. We're in a tough spot, Coach. You, me, the whole city. I think it'd go a long way to smooth things over if you'd stay, work on the staff, be a defensive coordinator, assistant head coach. Coach Yo says, work under you? Coach Boone, if that's the way you see it. And Coach Yo says, good night, Coach. Right? And that's powerful scene right there of them beginning to realize that this thing is bigger than just the two of them. It's bigger than just one man's success. It's bigger than just the success of a football team, but that there's a bigger story, a bigger situation that's taking place. Today, where we're going to be in our scripture, we'll jump to and we look at this as well. We're going to be in Matthew, and you can go ahead and open up your Bibles. We'll be in Matthew chapter 11. And we find a man in a similar situation, and this man is John the Baptist. We find him in a similar situation where John the Baptist, uh, now for a few years, has been um, enjoying a successful ministry. Um, it's been different than what most people would experience. It's not been lavish. It's been one where he's been living in the desert. He hasn't had fine clothes. He hasn't had a fine home. hasn't had fine meals. Um, but nonetheless, it's been successful um, that many people have known God, repented. They've been baptized. That um, he was recognized and known through all out the land that God was using him in a powerful way. And he was seeing amazing things happen. He was the last Old Testament prophet. And he was seeing much, much much success in his ministry. John the Baptist says he's going through and doing what he's called to do and doing what he's been prophesied about to do. John the Baptist comes into a situation with the king at the time and, and he calls the king out because the king had made a stupid move and stole some man's wife. And so John the Baptist calls him out. And so the king's just like, dude, I don't want to deal with you. So the king throws him into prison. And John the Baptist, in a very short time, He's lived his entire life very dedicated, very disciplined, very focused, very rigid for God, for God's purposes and God's calling. He has sacrificed very, very much for God. And he's seen success in a very short time, is now in prison. And he's sitting there just looking at the situation. And Jesus, the one whom he knew and who John had been waiting for and who John had been prophesied was going to point to, and say, this is the Messiah, this is John's role. John knew this, that he was going to be pointing to Jesus. John himself baptizing Jesus, seeing the Holy Spirit descend on him. He physically sees and knows that this is God's son. He says it and announces it, and that's what John was called to do. So John now finds himself in prison, and he sees Jesus, the one that he's pointed to, now standing and doing his ministry, and John is in prison. He's like, this situation right here is not the situation that I thought I was going to find myself in. This situation is not the one that I was thinking was going to take place. It's not, the, it's not going the way that I thought it was going to go. Things are not happening the way I thought they were going to happen. This is a little bit unsettling for me, right? I mean, that would make sense, right, for you just to be like, I don't understand what's going to happen here. You're asking me to be an assistant coach to you. Yeah, good night. All right, we'll see you later, right? John the Baptist is the same way. He's sitting there in this moment. He's in prison. He's just like, okay, all this has happened. I've done all of this stuff. All these things have happened the way they're supposed to happen. Now I'm sitting here at this moment, and things aren't quite the way that I hope for them to be. How many of you ever found yourself in a spot like that where you're just like, this is not where I want to be right now. I don't like where I'm at right now, and I wish it would change, right? We could all relate to that. So here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, 
It says, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Father, in the next few minutes, we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us and encourage us. God, that you will help us to hear your word. God, that you will help us to look through our circumstances. You will help us to look past our feelings. You will help us to look past our discouragements and our failures. You help us to look past our successes. God, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see him. Help us to see the life that you've called us to live in him through him, and for him. God, change us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So John the Baptist is sitting in prison. And he sends his two disciples out, and he says, hey, what are we gonna do about this situation? Right, what are we gonna do about this situation? This, you know, are you the one that I'm waiting on? Are you the one that's gonna make a difference? I think about the movie, I think about, um, remember the Titans, remember the scene where they're all getting on the bus and they're getting ready to leave for their camp. And as they're getting on the bus, as they segregate themselves and, and all the white players go on one bus and all the African-American players go on another bus and they segregate themselves on the two different buses. And Coach Boone steps out and he says, hey, listen, everybody off, everybody off now. And he separates the buses, not by color, but he separates the buses by the teams that they play on. So defense on one bus, offense on another bus. And he begins to go through and he begins to show them that they're going to be together and they're going to be a team. That what they see and what they've been trained to see and what they've been trained to think is going to be erased. And that they're going to focus on something else. See, in this movie, as they go through, Coach Boone, and you even talk about an article about him... His goal is, is, as he's going through this, he's like, I'm going to unify this team together. And he knew that the way he was going to unify them was not to talk to them about race or not to talk to them about ideals, not talk to them about what should change or shouldn't change or try to give them this beautiful picture of what community could be like or what culture could be like. But he knew that they needed to find something they could rally around together. That if they find something to rally around together, if they could find some commonality together focused on one thing, that they would be able to overcome all of those issues in a quick amount of time, and that they would discover friendship, relationship, and they truly would become a team. And so he goes through, and he decides that he's going to be the sacrificial lamb, if you will, and he's like, I'm going to go through, and I'm going to make sure that every person on this team hates me so much they can look past their color, they can look past their religions, they can look past all of those things and be unified together and do nothing but come together in their hatred of me, right? <laughs> right? 
what a good coach right there, right? And he's just like, I'm going to work them so hard. I'm going to beat the mess out of them. I'm going to do so much that they're just not going to be able to see anything other than my destruction, right? <laughs> and they're going to partner together with anybody they can to see that happen. And so he goes through, and that's what his goal is. He runs them like crazy at camp. He works them like crazy. He's just doing all kinds of things, putting them in situations they don't want to be in. And he's like, you need to come together. If you can come together and see that you can actually work together. And if you can come together and see on one thing, you can just come and focus on this one thing. You'll be able to see clearly all the other things. And it's a similar situation that we've got here that in this moment, Jesus has been preaching now and he's been teaching and his fame is beginning to grow and, and John is in prison and he's hearing all of these miraculous things happen and he's saying, you know what, I know that these things are taking place and I, I hear all of these things happening. I know that Jesus is the one that we should have, that, that is the Messiah. I've declared him to be the Messiah. I've proclaimed him, you know, to be the one that God has chosen. And, and so he's sitting there in this moment just looking at, at all of these things that are happening and he's just like, you know what, <laughs> I'm still in prison. I'm still in prison, and I need to know something. Because not only am I in prison, but Jesus is not out there just saying, I am Jesus, I am the Messiah, I am the one to come. He's not just saying it. He's just doing stuff, and he's doing things differently than anybody expected. And, and John the Baptist, he's actually sending two disciples, and, and I truly believe, as many commentators do, that he chose two disciples of his own that were the ones that least liked Jesus. And he sends them out to Jesus. And he asks, these disciples ask him, are you the one that we're expecting? There's doubt, there's fear, there's insecurity. They look at Jesus and Jesus is doing things differently than they had ever expected the Messiah to do. John the Baptist, as you can recount, like their disciples and Jesus' disciples had a little bit of run in, right? They're, they're, they had a little bit of run in because they're just like, hey, you know what? Like, we're way better than you guys. You know, like, we fast a lot. We pray a lot. You know, we wear, you know, like, we, we sacrifice a lot. We give a lot in the offering, you know. Like, I mean, we're really good people, you know. You guys, you eat whenever you want to. You drink whenever you want to. You don't even pray. Like, what's wrong with you people, right? I mean, so there's this, this issue. There's this conflict that John the Baptist's disciples, they're struggling with. Is this Jesus the one that we've pointed to because he's not living the way that we live. And then beyond that, you think about the Israelites in that time, their expectation, if you put yourself in their shoes, they're not expecting the Messiah to come and to speak about a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that goes beyond territories and borders. They're thinking specifically of a king to come to restore their borders, to restore their territory as a kingdom. That's what they're expecting. The anointed one, Messiah, was a name that was given to the kings. That's what they were expecting, is that all the kings in the past have been the messiahs. They've been the anointed ones. And so they're expecting a king to come again to sit on a throne, to set up borders, and to make Israel the nation that it once was under God. That's what they're expecting. So they got these ideas of what it's going to be. they got these ideas of, of the way things are working out and the way things are supposed to be happening. And there's all this conflict and there's issue and there's dislike and there's distrust. And there's all of this stuff that's going on. And Jesus himself is not even saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the, I'm the Savior. He's not saying it. He's just doing miracles and healing people and doing different things. And John the Baptist is in this situation and I'm sure 
Many have preached and talked about that John the Baptist had a moment of doubt and unbelief. And I believe there's a hint of it, and that's one of the things I love about the Bible, is the Bible does not romanticize the heroes of its characters, right? It doesn't go through and, and say, like, this is them and they were perfect. It shows their failures and it shows their flaws. It shows their moments of weakness. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible is, and I believe that it shows the truth of the Bible is, is that no one would write a story like this. And so I'm sure there was a moment of doubt. There was a moment of disbelief. And John's trying to figure things out for himself because he's thinking of this temporal kingdom. He's thinking of walls and, and borders and boundaries. That's what he's thinking about. And he, he's thinking about the way he's lived. And he's looking at the way Jesus lives. And he's thinking about his disciples. And he's thinking about Jesus' disciples. And he's thinking about... All of these different things are taking place, and John was very much one to stand up and say, you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent, you know? And Jesus is like, I love, I love, I love. And John's like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> what's going on? Are you the one? Are you the one? And Jesus uses that moment to rally everyone around him. Rally everyone around him. It's not about the words that he says but it's about the reality of who he is. And he says, listen, if you can see the truth, and if you can come around me and see that I am the Savior, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Anointed One, you will be able to come together and you will be able to accomplish things that you never thought you could accomplish. And when you look at your circumstances, you're not going to see issues of race, and you're not going to see issues of pride, and you're not going to see issues of, 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 of class, and you're not going to see all of these different things. You're not going to look at it and say, well, are we going to be a great nation? And you're not going to limit your view of what could be on your understanding and your circumstances. If you come around and you look at me and you hear that I am the Savior, that I am the sent one, then you will begin to see that our circumstances do not determine our kingdom response. So Jesus responds, and he begins to speak to John the Baptist. And what he does is he actually goes through, and Jesus begins to quote Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah chapter 61. These are prophecies of the coming king. They're prophecies of the coming Messiah. John the Baptist knows these scriptures by heart. John the Baptist knows what's taking place, and he knows exactly what is meant by these scriptures, as does his disciples. And Jesus is speaking to them, and he's saying, listen, don't let the fact that you're trapped in a dungeon right now to determine your view of me. Don't let the fact that we are completely different and how we're approaching ministry distract you from what I'm here to do. Don't let the differences that you see, don't let your sufferings, don't let your circumstances, don't let all of those things distract you and keep you from seeing the kingdom purpose. John, stay strong and stay true. Your response is not based on your circumstances. Your response is based on who I am. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm accomplishing. Look at who I'm bringing together. Look at what is being overcome in this world. Look what's being accomplished, John. Look at it. You know what Scripture says. See it, John. Look at it and ignore your circumstances. Be strengthened in the fact that I am the Savior. 
For us, it's a similar situation that we can get into our circumstances. We can get into the realities of our life. And then as we go through and things begin to get difficult, we back up and we stop and we pause. When we go through, we, we start entering into relationships with people and we find out that people are not perfect and they're doing things differently than we thought they would and they're doing things differently than we would do them, that instead of entering deeper into that relationship and finding out how God can bring us together for his purposes, we start to back away from those relationships. Our circumstances cannot determine our kingdom response. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the relationship looks like, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how imperfect it is, step into what God has for you and see the plans that he has and remove your view of this world and look to the world that he has brought to us. Look at the kingdom that Jesus has already initiated and say, you know what? I see that we're living for something completely different and I know that it's not even yet complete. That there's even more to come when he returns again. So we look at this and we got to understand and we got to see that our circumstances can cause us to pause. It can cause us to ask deep questions. It can cause us to reflect on what's going on. But it cannot determine our response of what God's called us to do. And who he's called us to be and what we know to be true in his scriptures. John knew the truth of scriptures. John knew Isaiah by heart. He knew what was being said. Even more amazingly, in Isaiah chapter 61, as Jesus is quoting this, in Isaiah chapter 61, it starts off with that Jesus is going to come and he's going to set the captives free and the prisoners are going to be freed. And it's amazing that in Matthew and Luke, the recordings of this moment where Jesus responds to them, Jesus leaves that phrase out. That he doesn't say to John, the captives are going to be set free. He doesn't say to John, the prisoners are going to be freed. He leaves that part out. And he's saying to John, listen, don't look at your circumstance. Look at what I'm doing. And when you see what I'm doing, you'll forget about that. And you'll be able to find joy in this moment because your joy becomes me. We've got to do the same thing, and we've got to be encouraged by this. One of the amazing things is we see Jesus quoting Isaiah chapter 35 and, and Isaiah chapter 61, and we see even in this as we go on in, in Matthew chapter 11, and you can look in Luke as well, you see as Jesus carries on that Jesus affirms his deity. Jesus shows him to be God. He shows himself and proclaims clearly that he is the sent one of God, that he is the Messiah very loudly and clearly. And as he's quoting the scriptures, he's saying, listen, I'm healing the blind, which they knew and we should see in scripture that only Jesus was going to be able to do. That those that were born without sight were receiving their sight. That was a prophecy being fulfilled by Jesus. As he says, the lame were walking, as the dead were rising, Jesus is saying, I'm fulfilling scripture right now. I am the one that has come. And so for today, we need to hear and see that Jesus in the truth of Jesus Christ is clear, real, and available to everyone. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says this. It says, I, Jesus says, he's speaking to himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, Jesus came in that moment, and John had a little bit of hesitation, and he had a little bit of uncertainty because of his circumstances. But Jesus says to him, I am he. I'm fulfilling scriptures. Look, all the things you've been hoping for, they're happening. Maybe it's a little bit different than you thought it was, but trust me, I'm in control of this situation. Just look to me, hope in me, believe in me, look at me, and I'm telling you, things are going to work out. And he encourages John 
by stating clearly that he is the Savior. And the truth of the matter is, is for each one of us today is to hear that Jesus and the message of Jesus, that he's come to save us and rescue us, it's clear, it's real, and it's available to you today. Each one of us, we are desperately in need to be rescued. Listen, our lives are not about what we can accomplish in this world. It's not about how well we do our job or even how well we raise our kids. Our successes in this life are not, are not what get us anywhere in eternity. There's a real truth that when we die, we will spend eternity somewhere. And it's not based on what we accomplish, how good we are, what we believe, or what we've said, or what we've done. It's not about how big our bank accounts are, how well we are dressed, or even how good we were to people. It's based on us looking to, trusting in, believing in Jesus Christ. It is clear as you look through scriptures that Jesus has called us out that there is a way to be right with God, to be in relationship with him, and it is him. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. There's a moment of doubt, there's a moment of uncertainty for you. When you look at your circumstances and you say, I don't know if there is a God, or I don't know how God can be real, or I don't know how God can love me, don't look at those circumstances, look to Jesus. Look at what he's done and look what he's accomplished. He doesn't look at how good you are and he doesn't look at how bad you are. He looks at you and says, you need to be rescued and I've done everything I need to do to rescue you. Just reach up. And when you see that and you embrace that and you see your need for Jesus Christ and you find yourself rescued by him, you discover life. You discover true life. Before I get to the conclusion of this message... One last cool point I just want to point out to you is that as we look at this story of John the Baptist here, we see that our, our purpose and our opportunity is to point others to Christ. Earlier when I started off, I was telling you that John the Baptist, I believe that he found two disciples that liked Christ the least, and he sent them. Because I'm sure that there was a moment where John's just like, I'm unsure, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm, what's going on here? But John, from birth, had been called, had been anointed, and had been purposed to point to Jesus Christ. John had experienced miraculous things in his own life. John saw the heavens open and saw the Holy Spirit ascend on Jesus. John knew who Jesus was. He had no doubt of who he was. Maybe he was unsure of the methods and unsure of the circumstances, but he had no doubt who he was. John, looking at his own situation, says, you know what? I don't think I'm going to make it out of this prison. These guys that are around me and these guys that have been serving with me, these guys that have been doing ministry with me and been doing life with me, I don't want them left alone. I don't want them abandoned. And he sends them to Christ. And he points the way to Jesus. So they don't look at what they can do. They don't look at who they are. They don't look at what John did. And they don't begin to segregate themselves. But they instead turn. They look to Jesus. And they run to him. Matthew chapter 11, starting off in verse 1. Jesus came to preach the good news. That's what Jesus came. Jesus came to declare that we are in need of a savior. That he is that savior. And he came to make the way for us by dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin and doing, taking on the death that we deserved. 
His body was broken and he endured punishment that we deserved so that we could be made right with God. He came to preach the good news, to be the good news. His miracles and the things that he did were only to show people that he was the Messiah. He didn't come just to heal people. He didn't come just to change circumstances. He didn't come just to relieve people of anxiety and worry. He didn't just come to fix bank accounts. He didn't come just to, to heal people of disease. He didn't just come so that people could be right in their marriages or, or ha- experience a good life or, or to live a long life. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came so they could be made right with God. Jesus came so they could be in relationship with him. That's what Jesus came to preach. And everything he did was to point to the fact that he is the Savior. John, in his last moments, and he's looking at a situation, he's like, I don't think I'm going to get out of here. He sends his disciples to go, look at him. He is the Savior. Listen, they know the scriptures just as much as John does. And as Jesus begins to say, I am, and he begins to start quoting these things in Isaiah, I'm healing the blind, and I'm doing these things. They're like, he is the one. And they put down their prejudices, they put down their issues, they put down all of those things, and they come together around Jesus Christ. They come around Jesus Christ. They don't look at what they accomplished. They don't look at all the things that they've done. They don't look at the rites and the rituals that they've gone through and their own beliefs and, and all these things as the way to relationship with God. They look to Jesus and they see him to be the Messiah. And so for each and every single one of us, we've got to look at our moment and we've got to look at our opportunity. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, it says this, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Listen, church, how are you greater than John the Baptist? How are you greater than John the Baptist? Because in this moment, Jesus has been fully revealed. His purpose has been fully revealed and he's accomplished all things. Jesus has issued in the kingdom of God. It is here, it is present, but yet it's not yet come. So we're here, we know who God is, we're able to experience God, we're able to be connected to God, we're able to be in relationship with God, we're able to be able to commune with God and to have him speak to us, we're able to be encouraged by God, we have, as, as we believe in Christ, we have his Holy Spirit with us, walking us, guiding us, giving us the words to speak at moments, there's moments where you can go through this life and I, hopefully you've experienced it and I know I have, that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with me. We've seen all of these things revealed. We've seen them all true. We've seen our lives changed. I've not seen somebody receive their sight when they were blind, but I've seen people step out of their situations. They were blind to the realities of their decisions. They were blind to the realities of their actions, and the consequences that were resulting in their lives were because of the things they were choosing. They weren't aware of it. They were, they were infuriated by their circumstances, and they wanted to blame on everybody else, but they came to Christ, and they realized what they were doing to themselves. They realized what sin was doing to themselves. They opened their eyes, they saw Jesus, and they turned from what they were living in, and they turned to him. And they received life. And they discovered joy, they discovered happiness, they discovered what it is to truly be alive. Listen, we're greater than John the Baptist because we fully have experienced and seen or able to communicate who Jesus Christ is. And so when we look at it, we don't just come to church and we talk about this a lot and the whole purpose of this sermon series of Rescued is, is it's twofold. One, that we as the church, we have to be about his story of rescue. We have to be involved in a story of rescue because we've been rescued. 
We've been rescued. We've been shown who God is. We've been shown the truth of it. And so we have to do our part to point others to Jesus Christ as well. And today, for you, those, those of you who do not know who Christ is, it's your opportunity to see him and to turn to him as well. Lastly, as the worship team makes your way up as we conclude today. The whole reason that Jesus came and rescued us, the whole reason that he entered our lives and took on our skin and became the savior that we desperately needed. The reason he became and is and always has been the center of the story, the person that we can be centered around, the person that we can look to, the person that we can find hope in, the person that helps us to look beyond our circumstances, the person that helps us to look beyond our own situations, that inspires us and encourages us to live lives beyond ourselves. The reason that he came to rescue us is so that we could have a life of joy. So that we could have a life of joy. John 15, 11 says, I've told you these things and these things are how we are to follow God and how we are to walk out our lives of God and how we are to be obedient to the things of God. So I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Matthew chapter 11 starts off with Jesus preaching the good news and a man struggling with his own circumstances and situations. As the story develops, we see this man and his story to help affirm the truth of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is real, that Jesus' message is clear, and that Jesus' message is available to everyone. When he told John, I'm preaching to the poor, what he was saying is, listen, the gospel, the good news that we've been hoping for, that's been prophesied about, it's going forth. Because in their time, what has happened the priest, what they were doing was, is they were looking at knowledge as treasure. They were looking at it as currency. And so if you were not educated, if you were not able to read, you were a subclass citizen. You were lower than everybody else. And the more, the more focused in their religion they became, the more caught up in their faith they became, the more they secluded people, the more they pushed people that they felt were lesser value away from them. And Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus is preaching to them. He's reaching out to the poor. He's reaching out to the excluded. He's reaching out to those that everybody else says is imperfect. He's reaching out to those that are diseased and outcasted. He's reaching out to those that have massive amounts of failures. And he says the gospel is going forward. It's happening. It's taking its place. John, what you came to do, it's working. John, and I'm continuing it, I'm gonna finish it because it's all about me, look to me. John's pointing his disciples to him. They see that, and in that moment, they no longer see the circumstances, but yet they see Jesus. And as they see Jesus, the joy begins to overflow their lives. Jesus ends, Matthew ends, John, or Matthew chapter 11, with Jesus' words. He says this, come to me, all of you who are weary, carry a heavy burdens and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls 
for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. As we enter into this worship song, I want you to take a moment and I want you to stop and reflect and you to look at your circumstances. Have you allowed your circumstances to dictate to you your kingdom response? Your willingness to love people, your willingness to reach out to people, your willingness to go the extra mile to love somebody, to care for somebody at work, to listen to their heartache and to listen to their hurt and to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. Is that based off of your love for Christ or is your unwillingness to do it based off of your circumstances? Man, if I could just get out of jail, if I could just get out of this job, if I could just get out of this marriage, if I could just get past this situation, if I could just forgive this person or if they would just forgive me, if I would just be able to get over this failure, if I would stop doubting myself, you just start going through and you start listing all of these things, your circumstances, you're allowing them to encage you and trap you from being a part of God's plan. It's keeping you from being the rescuer that God has called you to be. Or are you able to look to Jesus and see him as the rescuer, to see him as the fulfiller, to see him as Lord. And then when you look at him, you see him and your joy, your life is filled, your heart is filled with joy and all those things matter not to you anymore. That you no longer look at your circumstances as a way to keep you from doing what God's called you to, but you look at them as an opportunity to do exactly what God's called you to do. That's where he wants us today. And listen, if you look at your circumstances and you're like, it's miserable. My life, I'm isolated, I'm alone. I have worry, I have fear, I have doubt, I have all of these things and they're in my heart and I don't know what to do with them and I know that I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your circumstances and where you are does not dictate God's response to you. All you have to do today is say, Jesus, you're the way and I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. And today, the creator of the universe will invade your space. He will invade your life. And he will open you up to the life that he's called you to. And you will see your circumstances as not something that keep you from doing and living the destiny that God has for you. But they can be the very destiny that God has for you. And they can be used to help you discover the life that God has for you and wants for you they could just become your joy through Jesus Christ. So stand today and worship with me and ask yourself, what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with this Jesus that we find in the scriptures? I find myself in prison. I find myself in this difficult situation where I don't understand the circumstances and I don't understand all. What do I do with Jesus? What do I do with him? If our response is, as I look to him, and I worship Him, and I trust Him as in control of this situation, He will move us to the place that He wants us to be, which is close to Him, safe, enjoying His rest, enjoying His life and His goodness.